Good morning, this is uh, Doc Scott, and this is my 90-day devotional called No More Cycles. Today, we're going to talk about you will manifest what you believe, and I want to talk about it in the context of sin, in our sin consciousness. You know, we get really tripped up sometimes because I think that we, we don't really realize what Jesus fully did for us. Um, our shame makes us want to hold on to this, um, you know, sin consciousness, which is, you know, essentially that we're just sinners saved by grace, just trying to hold on until we can get there, you know, um, just trying to make it, you know, until we get to heaven and that we're just going to be uh, nothing but just hopeless, reckless sinners. And, um, and so we have a sin we have a sin consciousness that I think the enemy is hugely invested in. I also think the church is too because it keeps everybody in line. But I mean think about it for a minute. Um I remember um years ago I did recovery groups for people who were dealing with every kind of addiction under the sun. I mean just kind of fill in the blank and some of them were ones you hadn't even heard of and I hadn't heard of but they were they seemed interesting at least. And you know, every week in the group, everybody came in and they'd already done everything they didn't want to do that week. And so it was like, what would be freedom for them? For me to berate them, hit them over the head, tell them to memorize the scriptures more, to read more, pray harder. It's as if people who are trying to manage their life, which manages the wrong word, because as long as you're manage it, you're still religious. Um, but that's what we do. I mean, that's what we do in the church. We try to, that's what we do with things that are issues of sin. We just kind of try to manage them and we try to get it right. And the truth is you're not going to get it right. Um, there's one that died for all and he got it right. And that's what may, who, that's the one who makes us righteous. It's our faith in Jesus that does it. In other words, you, otherwise we just kind of nullify this whole thing of the cross. Like why, Maybe I should just try to tack myself up because essentially that's what we're doing, right? When I try to live on my own and I try to maintain and live out of a sin consciousness, then I'm essentially going to manifest it. You will manifest what you believe. If you believe that you're a sinner saved by grace, then that's what you're going to manifest. You're going to keep on manifesting being a sinner saved by grace and we'll never go on to anything else. You know, and so in some ways we've been stuck there as a church, um, I remember back in the day, like I said, when I was doing the recovery group, it was like, um, you know, what am I going to say to somebody who just did everything they, they didn't want to do that week? You know, the only thing that I can say to them, because here's the deal, they already had a lot of shame. Their addiction kept them in a shame cycle. And, I, and if you want to be honest, I think shame is kind of the core of all evil and sin. Um, it's just manifesting. And so they would do everything. And my thing to them was they would already come in feeling like, you have to understand this about shame too. Shame is the grand separator, okay? The goal of shame and the enemy's investment in shame is to separate us from parts of ourselves, you know, being able to forgive ourselves, let us off the hook, um, being able to accept ourselves. I mean, why do that? That would be like really freeing. And, um, Sorry, high school teacher, lots of sarcasm. I always tell the students, if I'm not sarcastic, you won't feel loved. Um, but at any rate, you know, if we're already, they're already in that place, so what am I going to say to someone like that except that this, you're free. And Jesus 
is not any further away from you because here's the big lie that shame says about separation as I was talking about before I saw a squirrel and I did have my Adderall. Um, the big lie is that um, you are separated and I think that's the very one that the enemy has the most investment in because what happens in shame and that feeling of separation when we blow it what do we want to do? We want to back up. It's like the whole thing back in the garden again. When, uh, you know, I talk about this a lot, but when God says, Adam, where are you? It wasn't a geographic question. It was a relational question. And so where did you go? And he said, well, I hid because I was naked. Not because I just went and did a drive-by shooting. I hid because I was naked. And that's the point, is nakedness is that feeling of that vulnerable. What he was saying was, I felt suddenly vulnerable and uncovered and exposed. And that's what shame looks like. And so when you're look, working with people and you're a pastor and you're kind of doing this thing, um, what am I going to say? Except that, guys, you're free and you need to keep that conversation with Jesus going because that's the goal. Separation is ending relationships so we don't keep our conversation going. So you have people who feel shame. They feel like God's already waiting for them to clean up. Look, if you got to clean up to come to God, we're not making it. We're not going to get there. We're not going to get there at all. And Jesus died once, and he died not only for my sin, but for my sin consciousness, meaning my awareness of sin. If, and, and I would call that more what looks like condemnation. If you're sitting in a place of condemnation, there are two voices. Well, there's three. There's one in your head, but the enemy is, is playing on that one. He's the only one that steals, kills, and destroys. So if you're sitting there feeling condemned, it's because the enemy's having a heyday with you. And so my thing to a lot of these people every week would be don't back away. That is the goal. Keep moving. I don't know what freedom looks like for you. And I knew that some of the people that I was ministering to didn't, couldn't even imagine what it looked like. But how great is it to disqualify somebody from the race before they start? By keeping them in the bondage of their shame, thinking that they can never get close to God and they'll be perpetual on the hamster wheel. We're going to do the hamster wheel of trying to get close to God our whole life. Jesus didn't die for that. It's his righteousness, okay? So it's not like we could say he got me clean for everything except this. It's like if I gave you this bottle of water and I said, 99% um, pure. It's just 1% poo, 1% dung in there. But go ahead, drink it. It's 99% pure. It's um, you, you see my point? It's like, if Jesus doesn't save to the uttermost, he doesn't save at all. We, always, we have this kind of partiality, partial mentality when it comes to salvation and sin and our sin. We like to pick the ones and weigh them and say, well, he, this one's worse than this one and this one's worse than that one. And they're all the same. And when we weigh them, what we're really doing when we weigh sin, when we say, well, I just lied, but yeah, but you just did porn and whatever else, right? Well, when, what we're saying is, is that we're attributing a level of shame to one behavior versus another. And we're trying to justify the one and call the other one heavy, right? That one's the shame-based one. What I'm trying to say is that they're all the same and that I can't drink 
Jesus didn't give me salvation in a bottle that had 99% purity and would wash me clean and give me 1% poop. He just didn't do that. So there, it's just something that has to change in our mentality. And we have an investment in ourselves. Here's why. If already what's in me is shame, self-contempt, all of those things, what am I manifesting? As a man thinketh he is. If you believe that you're a sinner saved by grace who's always going to be stuck in your addiction or whatever else it is, you will manifest that very thing. You will keep on manifesting. Another um, you know, thing I like to do as an illustration, I tell my students um, in Bible Lit, I said, okay, here's the deal. You know, we have a son, and I, I'm not using him specifically in this example, but if my son came to me every day and said, um, comes to me day one, here's what I did. Oh, I did it again. I fell into that mud puddle, and I'm all dirty. Well, here's what I would say to him. Did you know that you have, like, a really promised future? Do you know that you're like created in the image of God and that you, you, you actually have more of him in you than you believe and you can actually manifest him? Um, do you have any idea? Day two, comes back in, back in the mud puddle. Have I told you just like how many, like you're gifted, you're radically gifted son and that Jesus wants to represent himself through you as a unique expression of Jesus on the planet that only you can manifest. Day three, comes back in, I fell in the puddle again. Day three, have I told you like how much I love you? Like how there's nothing you could do on the planet that would ever make me turn my face and that there's nothing that you could do even for a moment where I would stop looking at you and stop embracing you because I love you that much and my light is so light, this is what Jesus would say, that there's no darkness that exists so that even the darkness is in you is light to me. That's what Jesus says. Okay. That's what he believes. But I'm saying this to my son. Okay. Day four comes in. We do the same thing all over again. Dad, I fell in the mud again, right? Here I am. Well, all right, son, let me tell you a little bit more about the book of life. Do you know that in the book of life, they're all the days of your life were already planned and they're already in there and there is stuff written on these pages in the future of those you know pages that are coming and why you know why would you want to let this thing that you did here or this past event or this sin here be a whole chapter or a whole um, part one of your book when in reality that's only a blip it's like a comma on the page but you've made it your whole story. Son, this is who you are, right? We could go on with this analogy. We think that if we beat people up, they'll straighten up. And by beating them up and getting them to straighten up, we feel better. And I'm telling you, if you're doing that to others or to yourself, you're a Pharisee of Pharisees. Because what you're essentially saying is that the blood of Jesus and his righteousness alone and faith in him is not enough. You're basically shaming them because that's what shame says. I'm not enough. So every time we put on somebody that they've got to get it right. And sometimes it's subtle. I mean, think about it. I remember being on a college trip and I just joined the Navigators and a Christian ministry on campus. 
went on a ski trip. I was really rough around the edges. I wasn't, I didn't get saved out of the church. I got saved in the healing pool. And I remember coming into the place we were staying and I slammed my finger in the door and I yelled something profane. And like every face came at me. And I felt suddenly ashamed. Why? I felt exposed because I just did this thing that everybody's looking at me. See, that's what we do in the church. How long does it take for somebody to come to your church before they got to before they figure out what they got to do to clean up and get right and make everybody else around them feel better, right? My students, you know, we'll have this conversation. Well, they'll say, well, we want the prostitutes and the drug addicts to come to church. Remember the water analogy, 1% poo, uh, 99% pure. And I, I would say to them, it's actually a fun kind of conversation. So if the prostitute came off the night job, you know, where she's been on a pole, where she's been dancing, and she comes into church on Sunday morning, stumbling out of there after her night job, and sits on the front row, looking like she did for her job. That's what she does for a living. What would you all do? <clears throat> being, most of us being religious, Here's the tension. We want to be religious and say, oh God, clean her up, please, before she comes in here. But we know that God's supposed to be accepting her. So we're like, well, maybe I'd get her a new dress. And the next question would be, well, why are you getting her a new dress? She just came in this morning. She's been out in the street already. And she's come to the church because she thinks that's where she could get saved. Right? I buy her a new dress. Well, and then my next question is, who's that for, you or her? Because inevitably, you'd buy her the new dress and clean her up so that you would feel better about yourself. That's what religion does. Religion says, don't come in the house till you clean up. Don't come in here till you get it right. So if you want to manifest a sinner saved by grace, poor old me, as opposed to putting your faith in somebody who's already done it, for us. You can't add one thing to what Jesus has already done on the cross. Can't add nothing. Zippo, zip. It's the water analogy. He doesn't just save you 99% and give you 1% dog poop in your water, right? We want to believe in the 1% and we want to hold on to it with everything in us, right? Do you think the sinner that came in to Jesus's feet and wet his feet with tears or poured the alabaster jar perfume on his feet was thinking that um, if I go see Jesus, I can get it right and clean up. I'll be, I'll be good. She didn't have any hope of ever being good. The only thing she knew was being bad. The only thing she knew was sin. And his response to her was, your faith has saved you. He didn't say, your good works, they've saved you. Ah, you got good works now, girl. You cleaned the house. You read your Bible. You prayed for 20 minutes. You did all the right things. You checked all the boxes. You're good. So keep checking those, and you guys can come to lunch with the Pharisees next week because that's what they do. That's my point. You will manifest what you believe. And we have to have a shift in our thinking when it comes to sin because sin and shame are inexorably intertwined and one leads to the other and one may be very well the one that causes the other. I honestly think that shame is the root of all evil. I mean, honestly. And it's part of the condition that we're born with and it's part of the condition that gets fortified and fortified and fortified in every place in life where we feel like we're not enough. Does that make sense? So if I don't feel like I'm enough, 
and I'm, I'm going to manifest that very same thing. Jesus died for my sin consciousness as well as my sin. If you feel condemnation, it's the devil. That's straight up. But like yesterday, we've rationalized the enemy's thoughts in so many ways that we think it's just our self-talk. Look, the enemy isn't telling you, well done, good and faithful servant. The enemy is telling me, you stupid blankety blank, look what you just did. And we say that ourselves and we kind of accept that. So my point, one last time is, you're gonna manifest what you believe. If you believe that you are righteous because Jesus is righteous, not because you cleaned up, not because you got it right, not because you checked the boxes, you're going to manifest righteousness. And the, the story that I just told about, you know, if I told my son every day that he came in or one of my kids, anybody in this room, even my students, if I told them every day who they were, what their identity was. You, you have a promised future, you have a promised, you have a destiny, you have gifts, you have callings, you're beautiful, you are, uh, you are huge on God's map. If every day I just spoke the words of a right identity over them, how long do you think they would keep manifesting what they're manifesting when they're struggling and falling into whatever they're falling into? Probably after they hear it enough, they would actually begin to believe, I don't have to just be a sinner saved by grace and manifest sin and shame and keep everything going in my life. I'm actually, I'm actually already righteous. I'm actually already made clean. What Jesus said to the prostitute, your faith has saved you. It's faith in Jesus and his righteousness, his completed work that makes me right. Abraham had the same problem. And Abraham, what did God say about Abraham? He reckoned to him righteousness because he did what he did in faith. So manifest what you believe. So Father, I just ask right now that you just kind of highlight the place in us where we manifest a lie all the time. We manifest the lies that we believe. We manifest what we think about ourselves. We manifest what we've been told. And Father, every religious bone in me that's trying to get it right instead of just falling on your feet and your righteousness and, and your righteousness being the very thing and my faith in your righteousness being the thing that saves me, that makes me right, that I could never get it on my own. The only thing that makes me right is what you did. I, I repent for all the ways that I've tried to crucify myself. And all the ways that I've tried to let, not let myself off the hook. If you're not letting yourself off the hook, I, I want to ask you what your investment is in it. Because you always have one. Because I want to believe what my shame-based thought about myself is. I still want to remain that person. No. So I'm asking Jesus that you would free us from that. That you would give us a revelation and of our identity what's true, and you would give us a revelation of what you accomplished already for us, and you would deliver us from the hell of ourself. The place that we live in perpetual condemnation and perpetual shame and perpetual defeat. Deliver me today from the hell of myself and let me fall on your righteousness and receive what you have for me 
as a free gift. And then tomorrow, when I don't get it right, because I did this or that, I'm gonna lean in and I'm gonna declare that I am made clean because of the word you've spoken. I am made clean because of the sacrifice you made. And I am going to say to every other voice that comes to condemned, get out. Blessings, guys. Thank you for joining me on this 90-day uh, devotional uh, adventure on breaking out of self-destructive stuff, cycles, and shame. See y'all tomorrow at 7.